All across the planet, many households have put up a coniferous tree, decorated it with ornaments, lights, tinsel, and a star, and tucked their presents under the branches. The Christmas tree is a staple of the holidays. You'll see it in businesses, malls, public buildings, and maybe even your own home. But how did the tradition of the Christmas tree start? What does it mean, and where did it come from? And if I'm putting up a Christmas tree this year, how can I do it in the most environmentally friendly way? This week on Terra Informa, we dig into the origins and history of the Christmas tree and the environmental pros and cons about real and artificial Christmas trees. From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening, you're listening. You're listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Sonic Patel and I am joined by Hannah Cunningham. Hello listeners. This week we are talking about plants, or I should say one particular festive indoor plant, the Christmas tree. We'll be doing a deep dive into the history of these glammed up conifers, the ethics of harvesting them, and one Terra Informer's personal experience with Christmas tree chopping. Before we get into the show, we would like to acknowledge that this episode was written, recorded, and produced on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. The Indigenous people of this land were the original inhabitants and stewards of the place we now call Alberta. Treaty is about relationship with nature, with ourselves, and with others. As we talk about our relationship with plants, specifically the Christmas tree, we hope that you think about the relationships that have existed on this land for time immemorial, the relationships that dominate our world today, and the relationships of those that will come after. Let's talk about the Christmas tree, a tradition you have probably known about for years. But have you ever wondered where it came from? If you have, here's a brief history of the Christmas tree. Also, if you haven't wondered that, this show is not interactive. The history of the Christmas tree has very old roots, pun not intended. The tradition of Christmas trees can be considered an evolution of practices from ancient civilizations. Evergreens are plants that maintain their green foliage all year, including most conifers like pine and spruce and holly. And they have long held a symbolic value for many ancient civilizations, often tied to celebrating or acknowledging the winter solstice. The winter solstice is the shortest day of the year, either December 21st or 22nd, when the Northern Hemisphere receives the fewest hours of sunlight in the year. After the solstice, the days start to get longer again. Ancient Egyptians would adorn their home with green palm rushes, intended to symbolize the return of Ra, an Egyptian god who wears the sun on his crown. Similarly, across the sea, ancient Romans marked the solstice with evergreen bows, with the evergreen representing the upcoming summer as the days start to get longer again. 
Continuing north among ancient Celtic cultures, Druids served a variety of roles, including religious leaders. The Druids took up the practice of decorating their homes with evergreens, a symbol of everlasting life, an important reminder in harsh and dark winters. The Vikings also held the evergreens in reverence, considering them a special plant of Baldr, god of the sun and child of Odin that hasn't been featured in a Marvel movie. The historic reverence of the evergreen plants in the dead of winter, a reminder that life renews and a symbol of a beautiful optimism that the soon harsh winter will be over and the lively and bountiful summer will return is a tradition that evolved into the modern tradition of Christmas trees. The modern Christmas tree is a practice that can be traced back to medieval Germany when the Christian population started the practice of keeping trees indoors. There are a few legends about how the Christmas tree tradition started. One legend is that the Christmas tree is the merging of two other religious practices. The paradise tree, a tree made for paradise clays that celebrate the feast day of Adam and Eve, December 24th, was decorated with apples to represent the tree of knowledge from the Garden of Eden. And the Christmas light, a small pyramid or frame of wood decorated with glass balls, tinsel, and a candle intended to represent Jesus Christ as the light of the world. Another tradition relates to Martin Luther, Protestant reformer. The story goes that Martin Luther was so stricken by seeing starlight twinkling off evergreens that he sought to replicate the aesthetic indoors by adding candles to an indoor evergreen tree, which sounds like a great way to burn your house down. Keep nailing theses to doors and hanging candles from trees and you'll never get that damage deposit back, Reverend Luther. In 1441, supposedly, the first Christmas tree was placed in a town square in Tallinn, Estonia. The first Christmas trees were adorned with a variety of items, including apples, wool, straw, and pretzels. Who said pretzels don't grow on trees? Not me. It's a weirdly specific phrase, and I personally have never needed it. German settlers brought the Christmas tree tradition to the new nation of America, where it was initially poorly received. Puritans fought back hard against the Christmas tree, calling it a pagan mockery of the holiday and a heathen tradition that desecrated the celebration of the birth of acclaimed carpenter, Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1659, the general court of Massachusetts criminalized observing anything other than a church service on December 25th. And people were fined for hanging decorations which sounds like the plot of an animated Christmas movie where Benedict Cumberbatch voices a Puritan who slowly learns the magic of the Christmas tree. Over time, German and Irish immigrants would undermine Puritan ideals in a young America, while Christmas trees exploded in popularity after a celebrity endorsement. In 1846, Queen Victoria and her German partner, Prince Albert, were sketched under a Christmas tree with their children, and thus, the Christmas tree quickly began fashionable in Britain, the Commonwealth, and America. 
The arrival of German settlers to Canada and the erection of a Christmas tree in Windsor Palace by Prince Albert in 1848 helped the tradition become popular in Canada. In the early 20th century, Americans decorated their trees with homemade ornaments. Germans and German immigrants were continuing to decorate trees with apples and marzipan cookies, as well as popcorn and garlands of berries and nuts. Electricity would allow Christmas lights to quickly become popular as a decoration, which even to this day, infrequently, but still occasionally, fulfills Martin Luther's original promise of burning a house down. Over time, Christmas trees would start appearing in town halls and public buildings. And with America becoming a cultural superpower after the Second World War, it wasn't long before the Christmas tree became a worldwide phenomenon. Shortly after, in the late 19th century, the first Christmas tree was put up in the White House. Although there is evidence that the electricity lobby pushed for the national Christmas tree as a publicity stunt to show the wonders of electricity. But isn't consumerism fueling and repurposing holiday traditions the true meaning of Christmas? And the mega tree trend continued with the first tree at the Rockefeller Center in New York City in 1931, while the building was still under construction. In the midst of the Depression era, it was a symbol of hope for many. Both the Rockefeller tree and White House tree are still practices that have continued to this day. But this year, an unfortunate homebody was very disturbed by the Rockefeller Christmas tree. Hidden inside this year's Rockefeller tree, a worker discovered a saw-wet owl, Agolius acadicus, for those keeping score at home. The owl had unknowingly hitched a ride into the city on the 23-meter-tall Norwegian spruce, felled in upstate New York. The tiny owl had gone three days without food or water during the trip, but fortunately made a full recovery and has now left the concrete jungle for good and was released back into the wild in hopes of making her way back to her family. In the process, the affectionately named Rocky has become a celebrity, getting her own children's book, Rocky's Road to the Big City. My preferred Rockefeller. Eat the rich Rocky and cough them out in those weird little pellets. For some of us, traveling outside of the city to pick out and cut down a Christmas tree is a cherished annual tradition or a fond memory from growing up. Or it's traumatizing enough that you're sharing it on the radio many years later. Let's hear from our very own Elizabeth Dowdell on her most memorable experience of picking out a Christmas tree. Cutting down your own Christmas tree sounds like a memory-making family experience. And for my childhood self, it certainly was. But those memories are one part joy, one part trauma. I grew up in Edson, Alberta, a small town in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. Christmas was a joyful time of year heralded by the arrival of the Sears catalog and a healthy dump of fresh powder. Every December, my dad would pay for a tree permit. Then our family would set out on a day-long trip to find a Christmas tree. 
It sounds idyllic, and the actual hunt through a field for the perfect tree was. Getting there, however, was terrifying. Our tree permit was always for the same country field, about 20 minutes down a highway, then another 20 minutes down a snow and ice-covered gravel range road with a memorably steep hill right before the end. My family traversed this road every winter in our 1987 burnt orange four-door Toyota Tercel hatchback. Although dependable, this subcompact car would appear to most to look more like a children's toy than a family vehicle. As a kid, I didn't understand the stress of winter driving, but I knew there was a little extra tension in my parents when we turned off onto that gravel road. I, on the other hand, was petrified. With no understanding of motor vehicles, I convinced myself that the sound of snow and gravel hitting the undercarriage was actually the sound of tiny pieces of our car falling off. And if I wasn't careful, at any moment, the whole speeding thing would burst apart completely, throwing my family to our death in the frozen wilderness. Only by the power of sitting perfectly still and focusing with every fiber of my being on the back of my parents' seat would we arrive safe and whole at our destination. This being childhood, once we stopped, I forgot about everything to run happily into the snow and start hunting for the perfect tree. I had passed the test of the icy terror hill and was rewarded with the joy of a real life Christmas tree. All that was needed was to strap the tree to the roof of the car, drive home, not scary because I was asleep in the back seat, give the tree a shower. Yes, I shower for the tree in the bathroom. It's normal. Secure the tree in a holder with four tiny screws and decorate. My memories of that car ride are slightly traumatic, but the memory of decorating a real tree every year is one that I cherish. This year, I have a small artificial tree but the ritual of setting it up, putting on lights and decorations, brings me feelings of family unity and childhood wonder. This is a ritual that lets me know it's Christmas time. The holidays look and feel a little different this year. Why not really shake things up and hunt down a tree of your own? If you have never been tree hunting before, I will give you some advice from a childhood of experience. Number one, wear a good pair of boots. The snow is always deeper than you expect. Number two, bring both a saw and an ax. You never know when one of these tools will surprise you 
by breaking down in the middle of the job, in the middle of a field, alone in the middle of the wilderness. And number three, start early. You do not want to be driving home in the dark on an icy gravel road with a storm rolling in, kids in the back seat, and a tree strapped to the roof of your car. Also, this is just a personal note, but please do not choose a pine tree for your holiday decorating. You may enjoy the aesthetic of a pine tree. The smell is excellent. I admire pine trees, but in the forest. If you make the mistake of convincing the family a pine tree would be a nice change for Christmas, be prepared for your children to ridicule this decision with school drawings and family cards featuring your Christmas cactus. A juvenile pine tree does not have the fluffy and full branches that make for an ideal Christmas tree. When you choose, choose spruce. With these words of wisdom, I wish you the best, making memories and rituals of your own this holiday season. Thanks, Liz. What a horrifying story that will haunt my nightmares. At one time, fresh cut trees were the only option for the Christmas tree. But for nearly 50 years, artificial trees have been on the market, and they now dominate. With 82% of America's 95 million household Christmas trees being artificial. There are a few good reasons for this. One being that climate change has made Christmas trees more difficult to grow. This year in Edmonton, there were reports of a Christmas tree shortage due to environmental factors and the financial strain tree farmers were feeling a decade ago when today's trees were planted. There's also the perception that artificial trees, which can be reused year after year, are better for the environment than chopping down a new conifer every year. But the sustainability of harvesting a real Christmas tree compared to using the same artificial tree every year remains up for debate. Welcome back to Terra Informa. If you're just joining us, this week we're talking about the Christmas tree. Earlier this episode, we talked about the long history of the Christmas tree and how it evolved to the tradition we know today. And now we're getting into a long-standing debate. What is the most environmentally friendly Christmas tree? So is it better to get real or artificial trees? To answer this question, we first need to talk about how Christmas trees are grown. Modern Christmas trees are crops grown on farms for the purpose of being Christmas trees. This means that natural Christmas trees are not being taken from forests and not harming natural forest ecosystems. And while trees take about a decade to grow, trees that are harvested are quickly replaced by the next crop. And just like any other plant, 
Christmas trees are carbon sinks, meaning they absorb atmospheric carbon and lock it within their trunks, branches, and foliage. Our planet certainly needs as many carbon sinks as we can get. And if disposed of correctly, Christmas trees are biodegradable organic matter that can be used as mulch in public spaces at the end of their life. Christmas tree farms can also be sited in environments that aren't suitable for other crops. So it sounds like natural trees are the way to go, right? Well, let's take a look at the arguments against them. The single-use nature of a real tree can be argued as wasteful, especially if it ends up in a landfill. And while Christmas tree farms may be established in areas that are unsuitable to grow other crops, their footprint may displace the natural ecosystem of that place. An independent study from an environmental consulting firm, Ellipsos, raises questions around the possibility that trees actually release more carbon dioxide than they absorb in their first 20 years of life. And Christmas trees are harvested long before that. Maybe not as green as we first thought. Now, let's take a look at artificial trees. Most artificial trees are made of PVC, a synthetic plastic product, and steel. Most artificial trees on the market are produced in China, and shipped over for sale. The manufacturing and transport of artificial trees is incredibly energy intensive. Some makers of artificial Christmas trees do claim to use recycled plastics and some of their tree components. But the PVC plastic that's used for most artificial trees still requires non-renewable natural resources to manufacture. And the greenhouse gas emissions of this process outweigh those associated with a real Christmas tree. But the real deciding factor on the eco-friendliness of an artificial tree, how long it can be reused. A natural tree won't last a year, so you need to get a new one every Christmas. An artificial tree can be used for many years. This means to compare the environmental impact of a natural and artificial tree we need to compare the emissions of producing and shipping an artificial tree against the emissions of growing a tree each year, however many years the artificial tree will be reused. In order to offset the carbon impact of an artificial tree, it has to be reused for at least eight years, or even better, more than 20 years, which may not be that unrealistic. Think about your artificial tree that has been living in your attic for the past decade. But this doesn't negate the fact that an artificial tree is not recyclable, and it will one day end up as plastic waste in a landfill. Still, at a time of the year when consumerism and air travel are at an all-time high, your artificial tree has a minimal environmental footprint compared to the millions of people jet-setting across the globe. Well, last year, anyways. So how can you reduce the environmental impact of your Christmas tree? Here's a couple of tips. Buying real trees isn't necessarily bad. It can be a great family or solo experience going to a farm to pick one out. But if you're going to go for a real tree, try and shop as local as possible. 
especially consider how far you need to drive to pick it up. Traveling a long distance by car to your preferred wooded area may actually offset the emissions sequestered by the tree itself. And shopping in your community for your Christmas tree supports the local economy and multi-generational family tree businesses. And once the holidays are over, make sure you recycle your tree. Some cities collect waste trees to use as mulch. If you are opting for an artificial tree, which is also not necessarily bad, and for many is a much more affordable option, make sure you reuse it for as many years as possible. If you can, try and find one that uses recycled materials. Or maybe, since this is a year unlike any other, you might decide to start a new tradition. You can find some vendors who will rent out potted living trees that you can adorn for the holidays that can be replanted in spring. These trees are a great option for people who want a real tree, but are concerned about the environmental impact that farming and cutting down a tree causes. But like we mentioned earlier, a lot of not so environmentally friendly decisions happen around this time of year. And the Christmas tree is just a drop in the bucket. Consider things like LED indoor and outdoor lights, recycled wrapping paper, and donating to your favorite environmental charities in someone's name as a gift for ways that you can make your holiday a little bit greener. There is something symbolic about seeing a reminder of life, growth, and nature in the dead of winter that many groups identified and practiced. Even now, thousands of years later, many of us feel the same values when we light up our trees sit down with the ones we love, and find a cozy corner in the dead of winter. The Christmas tree is a tradition many of us hold dear to our heart. But like many things in our capitalist society, we need to think about the environmental impact of our practices. Making environmental decisions about a Christmas tree might feel like a small thing. And in many ways, it is. But it's something that we can do along with other practices and advocacy to try and live more environmentally friendly lives. The beauty of a Christmas tree in winter is a good reminder that we rely on nature and the earth for our existence. And we need to be fighting to take good care of it. that's all the time we have this week on Terra Informa. We hope you learned a thing or two about the Christmas tree. We would like to wish everyone listening a wonderful winter holiday. This has been Sonic Patel and Hannah Cunningham. Stay safe, stay warm, and take care. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. This week's episode was written by Andrea Miller, Elizabeth Dowdell, Hannah Cunningham, and myself, Sonic Patel. If you like what you heard, check out our website, terrainforma.ca, our Facebook, or follow us on Twitter. 
If you're passionate about environmental news and stories, consider volunteering for Terra Informa. We're always looking for new team members. Email Terra at cjsr.com and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week right here on Terra Informa. Up a Christmas tree in Windsor Place, Palace? Probably Palace, I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, the Windsor Place. <laughs> the apartment building by campus. <laughs>